Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, I know a little bit late, but here we are. Uh, It's uh, Monday, May 24th, and we're still struggling with our with our string and gum and tin can system, uh, which is on the way out. I can at least assure you of that. Um, we do fully intend to remedy this uh, ridiculousness soon. Um, so, guys, I've already... Um, put in, it feels like a full day. I had to get up earlier than usual uh, to prepare for the show because I also had a telemedicine visit with my doctor, which ended up being, of course, a fiasco since my computer at the end, at last minute, decided it couldn't handle that. I I don't know how, um, I don't know. I'm an old person, so all this technology is a little daunting, but I am not like a really out of it old person. I, and God help them. You know, they're the ones who probably need telemedicine more than anybody else, but oh God. Anyway, so to hell with it. Who cares? Um, oh God. Where to start? You know, after, um, these uh, long weekends I now take, uh, there's so much that goes on uh, in between our conversations or my monologues or my rants or whatever. I, uh, I want to note that today is the uh, first anniversary of uh, George Floyd's murder. I mean, it happened on May 25th, which is tomorrow, but frankly, it's been a year. It's been a year. Uh, Tomorrow marking the actual uh, anniversary date. And uh, the New York Times yesterday did a full section on uh, how this has changed us, What has it meant? Um, Are we are we responding in a way that might yield progress, or are we doing the opposite? One of the things that uh, I read that chilled my blood was a transcript edited, a transcript of a focus group. Focus groups, you know those those gatherings of of people that pollsters do, also that I know uh, in television that uh, TV stations do to ascertain what which of their on-air talent are uh, are breaking through and which are not noticed and all that kind of stuff. But focus groups are used, I guess, a lot of times by corporate America to see what all those folks out there that they're trying to reach in some way are thinking. This focus group was led by a uh, longtime Republican uh, pollster, and that is Frank Luntz, 
And he's the one the New York Times turned to uh, because, first of all, this is what he does for a living, and he would be a good guy to know where to locate uh, Trump supporters uh, who were a accurate reflection of Trump supporters and the Republican electorate. And so he organized this session <laughs> for the Times. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the reporter who uh, sat in, a guy named Patrick Healy, he's actually a, one of the editors at the, uh, on the opinion section, um, he broke in every once in a while to ask a question. Now, th this group were men and women and all white, of course. Oh, well, there, there was one guy who did not identify as white because he was, in fact, what was he? He was Asian in some, some way, but a real conservative. So this is one of the questions that was asked of, it was 14 people. How many of you, before George Floyd's death, believed that the police officers in America did their best to treat everyone, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, everybody, the same, professionally and fairly? All 14 raised their hands. Okay. After George Floyd's death, I'd like to see a show of hands. Did any of you feel differently about that? in terms of how police officers treated people of race. Not one. And then belatedly one woman's hand came up. And she went on to say, well, I think it was just a unique situation. I mean, it's unfortunate. But again, the media just ran with the story. So she, she was the one who... And, and it turns out that she was still stuck where she was. She thought it was an unusual, a unique event. Um, and she thought the media blew it out of proportion. Uh, so 14 people uh, saying they felt the police were professional and fair and didn't and didn't in any way, you know, treat people of different races or ethnicities differently. And they still stick with that. Here's another question. It is a fact that the Black Lives Matter protests last summer in American cities were overwhelmingly peaceful. Do you disagree? Because I guess the people were all like looking like, are you nuts? And, and the, the New York Times guy says, no, that's a fact. In, in terms of the 26 million people who participated in those marches throughout the summer, there were not 26 million rioters. And here's a woman who responds. I just want to say, is this a joke? I mean, are you serious? Really? Those were peaceful protesters? you got to be kidding me. And then they're off and running. 
Okay, and just one final question. Just to show a hands, I'd like to know just how many of you believe that discrimination against minority groups is a serious problem in society today. Anybody? Okay. No one believes that. Not one hand. Okay. So, not that any of this is surprising, I guess, but why, if it's not surprising, is it, does it remain so disheartening, so, so <laughs> stunning and shocking? It's not surprising, but it's shocking. See, that makes no sense. Oh, God. So, I just want to say, I, I would really like to be a, um, a happy-go-lucky sort uh, on this program uh, and l have a lot of laughter and fun. You know, we used to. And on occasion, we still can muster it. But as I sit here on this dark morning, uh, my my mood, I must say, is dark, and I am uh, fearful, truly fearful. There was another story about how, you know, there was a $4 billion fund that was put aside specifically to help farmers of black farmers uh, to pay off debt and recover debt relief. And it was specifically done to a kind of attempt to redress the unbelievable history that had made it almost impossible for a black farmer to succeed in this country. When you think of a farmer in America, what's the picture that comes into your head? Is it a black man? No, it's overwhelmingly white. And in fact, the numbers bear that out. Even though at uh, one point, I think it was in the 1920s, there was a large percentage of black Americans who were farmers. Oh, here, I found the stat. In 1920, African-Americans owned about 14% of all the farms in the United States, which is as it should be in terms of their, uh, I'm not sure what, what percentage of the population they, they but 14%. You know how many black farmers there are now? What representation they have? It's a little over 1%. All those black farms went down. And they went down because of systemic racism. They went down because banks wouldn't loan. Anyone who knows how farming works knows that farmers are in debt up to their eyeballs. All of that machinery they need, uh, the land they buy, the, the, the animals. The, it, it's an extraordinarily expensive operation. So I don't know uh, that there's any farmers that are not in 
in debt. But black, Hispanic, Native American farmers have endured a kind of history that's gone on for centuries of discrimination. I mean, flat-out violence, being burned off their land, being terrorized off their land, having their land literally taken from them, stolen. And then there's the federal government and the Department of Agriculture, which really refused them the kinds of benefits that were willingly given to white farmers. So this was an effort by the Biden administration to, uh, in some measure, redress that. And uh, there was a piece in the New York Times about the blowback about how white farmers are screaming, discrimination, discrimination. I mean, why don't they don't acknowledge the discrimination that is exist? That they don't under they don't ever see that they disproportionately received all of these benefits for generations and generations and generations. Why are people so unwilling to acknowledge reality, history? Because it's not pretty? Because it doesn't paint a beautiful picture that we can be proud of? Well, isn't that too bad? And yet, I get a feeling that perhaps a majority of Americans would rather rewrite history so that we look good as opposed to dealing with a history that we made during Trump's four years in the White House. He was throwing money at farmers left and right because of his tariffs, because of a lot of things alleviating any pain they may be feeling from his policies in as much as he had any. Billions of dollars were flowing out and they went to white farmers. Less than 1% of the billions of dollars went to African-American farmers. And now, now these poor black farmers who are surrounded by white farmers are looked at as if they're, again, receiving some kind of undeserved welfare. when it is the white farmers who have been receiving welfare from the federal government my entire life. The agricultural subsidies, I mean, we've paid white farmers for years not to produce a goddamn thing. 
but give a little to some black farmer and all hell breaks loose. This is why Trump voters think white people are discriminated against. You know, I, I feel like I should just constantly be running that Jack Nicholson clip from, uh, you know, about you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth because that is the reality of, of America. So much of America cannot handle the truth. I've got a caller. Let's take the caller. I was about to head off in another slightly different direction. Hello. 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 Hello, Elsie. How are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, I want to talk about Biden and the Democrats, but since you were talking about farmers, uh, I don't know if you heard this or not, but uh, there was a Klansman out hunting. He shoots a duck. Duck lands on a black farmer's land. So he goes over. He says, I'm on my duck. Farmer says, no, that's my duck. It's on my land. He says, well, this is, I shot it. I, black farmer says, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll settle it. Uh, we'll kick, kick each other in the nuts, and whoever can stand it gets the duck. Since it's my farm, I get to go first. So he kicks the guy in the nuts. He's on a grind, 15 minutes, in agony, in pain. Finally gets up. He says, okay, my turn. And the black farmer says, that's okay. You can keep the duck. <laughs> I was just, you know what I was going to say? All this the guy's willing to do for a duck? <laughs> okay, there's the first right. laugh of the um, day. All right. All right. Thanks. I'm going to talk about uh, Biden, the Democrats, and the Republicans. Yeah. Here's something I just don't understand. Why are the Democrats trying this, you know, $2 trillion bill? to negotiate with the Republicans when Mitch McConnell said not one Republican will vote for this bill. So what are they doing? Why are they even talking to these people? Why don't they just say, all right, go to hell. We're going to do this ourselves. We can do it ourselves. And that's what we're going to do. We'll pass it ourselves. Well, that's a question I have, too. And it, it brings us, right, to a few Democratic senators who won't get rid of the filibuster. And that's Joe Manchin and this Kristen Cinema from Arizona. They're standing in the way of getting rid of the filibuster. The only way to get, to get any of Biden's agenda done is you have to get rid of the filibuster. Because we can't even, do you believe we can't even get the Republicans to agree to a January 6th commission to, to look at what the hell was that? Who was responsible? What, and they won't do it. They're filibustering it. So 
I, I don't know. Manchin is like this idiot who somehow thinks that there is a way to be bipartisan. <coughs> Not true. Impossible. They've been very clear, the Republicans. They will not in any way, uh, I guess, do their job. Their only job is to uh, deprive Biden of accomplishing anything. Speaking of this filibuster, Lynn, Mitch McConnell had no problem suspending that to get those Supreme Court justices. I know, I know, I know, I know. And I, I, I just, I, Manchin and Cinema, they're, they're the big two. I just want to knock their heads together. And, and Manchin had said this, I, just so you know, Manchin in an interview last week said, <clears throat> I'm still praying. We've still got 10 good, solid patriots within the Republican conference. He was talking about, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so Manton's, yeah, right. It's laughable. He's still praying. There are 10. There are none. There are none. They all walk in lockstep. And even if there's one. Like you think Romney, it doesn't matter. You need nine more. Not, it, it, it ain't going to happen. You've got to get rid of the filibuster if you want anything done. And how do we get into Joe Manchin's damn head so that he stops this, whatever he's doing, this romance? He's, he alone and this cinema who's a piece of work. I don't know. They're Democrats. Maybe they should drag him into the White House. You know, yeah. sit down in the Oval Office and say, what are you two doing? Yeah. But, you know, imagine if you're just a, a senator and you're this important that you can actually, you got the president begging you. Everybody, all these more powerful people begging you. I guess for some people, that's a that's something that oh, they, sure. yeah, I don't know. All I know is that nothing is going to be done. Nothing. Because that's what the Republicans, well, they've been very clear. That's what they're going to do. That's what they do. And they never do anything. The only way to get around it, there's only one way, one, that's it. That's right. Well, the Democrats got to get together and do it themselves because it's the only way anything's going to get done, plain and simple as that. All right. Well, you're absolutely right. Hey, thank you. All right, I got one thing to leave you with, all right? Oh, God. Okay. I took a shower this morning. I mistakenly used the dog shampoo on my hair, and now yeah. I feel like a good boy. <laughs> Get out of here. Bye, Lynn. Bye. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, I was on that, uh, you know, thinking of Jack 
Nicholson's thing, You Can't Handle the Truth. Uh, one of the things that I came across in, uh, in the last few days that just so uh, overwhelmingly shows that some people just refuse to deal with reality. And it has, we, I take you to the state of Texas. Do you know school children in Texas start their school day saying this? I pledge allegiance to thee, Texas, one state under God. Good God in heaven. And then I suppose they do the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know. Do they do a pledge to Donald Trump, too? What are they? I, I don't know. Is this education or indoctrination? Well... It's indoctrination, and always has been. Uh, public schooling is supposed to teach American children their history. And it's always been a whitewashed affair. As we all know, since many of us were students in that system. And it wasn't until I went away to college that I learned some of the real history of the country and not this mythology. And I have, I was enraged that I'd been misinformed in the guise of being educated. But boy, things are getting really nuts. Texas now is has got a law, well, pending. It's a proposed law that would actually force educators to not tell students the truth about Texas history. Idaho's already done this. Idaho uh, passed a law that prohibited any teachers in Idaho from teaching that there is any systemic racism in the country and limiting how they can teach about the role of slavery and the pervasive effects of it. Legislatures in New Hampshire, Louisiana, Tennessee, all have these kinds of bills that would outright ban teaching about any enduring discrimination in America. Or that they also get into that you cannot teach that any any the country or any state is inherently racist or sexist. Now stop and think about that. This country was, of course, racist and sexist. It endorsed slavery, allowed it. It refused the right to vote to women. 
women were essentially the property of their husbands for the first hundred years of all those all those women all those suffragists who took to the streets that never happened why were they in the streets so how dangerous is this i used to think i was taught when i was a little student in the 1950s and 60s in green bay wisconsin i was taught that this is the kind of thing that the evil Russians did, the Soviets, that they would literally rewrite history to make themselves look good. And I was so stunned by that. Even as I was being fed uh you know, a thin gruel of propaganda myself. But the Texas history is mind-blowing. There is, if you know Texas history, and I can't say that I do, but you know, remember the Alamo and all of that? Texas was part of Mexico. And there was a war in 1836 when Texas attempted to secede. Here it is taught in Texas schools as this great, obviously, it's like the American Revolution, right? But here's the truth. The men who were fighting that battle were fighting for a reason. They wanted to experience banned slavery. And you see, Mexico had abolished it. So in 1836, the Texas Revolution was about being able to get to keep slaves because Mexico said you can't, and they went to war. Mm -hmm. Sound familiar? And these bills want to teach the values of that revolution. What's the value of that revolution? Well, if you have those values, you would still have African Americans enslaved in Texas, because that was largely what the fight was about. Did you know that? And what a lot of people think is you've got to teach your children to be proud of where they're from, proud of their nation. Well, I understand that impulse. And I do think you can teach children to be proud 
But you also want to teach them that there are things that we can be proud of and there are things that we should be ashamed of and that we should remedy and that we should continue to remedy. This idea that we're somehow a perfected nation, why do people need to think that? I mean, if you really love someone, you love them despite their faults. It's possible to love a country and see its faults. And somehow these Republicans don't think that's possible. So this proposed Texas law would uh, not allow Texas teachers to teach about <laughs> to teach about that reality. Sort of a basic question, and what caused the Texas? Rebellion of 1836. It's a very unique history. And what caused it mostly was slavery. So, if this bill gets passed, Texas teachers would not be allowed to teach about the January 6th insurrection because they would be told they couldn't talk about current events. They wouldn't be able to talk about um, slavery. Uh, and what... Here's a Republican legislature legislator in Texas. And he wants uh, he wants it illegal for any teacher to say that uh, Texas or the United States is in any way defined by racism. And he says this, do you want our Texas kids to be taught that the system of government in the United States and Texas is nothing but a cover-up for white supremacy? Well, if there's truth in that, if there's truth in that, yes, that's what they should be taught. And when you think of the demographics of Texas, the fact that you have all of these, you know, increasingly Mexican-American and, 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 and Hispanics, um, this kind of chauvinistic approach to the history and, and civics, I mean, the fact that, you know, Hispanics and, and Mexicans were lynched, slaves there were lynched, and I mean, this, God, I can't even, we got a caller, let's go to the phone. Hello. Hello? I don't have a caller. Oh, well, why did that pop up again? 
All right, I don't have a caller. Mary writes, when it comes to Manchin, I think the crux of the matter is that his first and maybe only concern is re-election. <sighs> With every decision he makes, there's only one question to ask. Will this help or hurt me in the next election? West Virginia is a red state through and through. Those are his constituents. That's who he's courting. Yeah, but they did a <sighs> He doesn't believe for a second that any members of the GOP will fall in line. Saying that he has faith in bipartisanship is his cover. <clears throat> Excuse me. It allows him to appear that he's operating in good faith as a Democrat when really he's playing to his Republican base. Manchin is the only Democrat who will hold that seat for the foreseeable future. There's no primarying him. The only solution is to make his vote irrelevant by securing blue seats in other states. Well, yeah, but, oh, that's depressing. Wow. Um...
You want to know what systemic racism looks like? Look at our public schools and how they're funded. It's why it's one of, you know, I've always spoken so derisively of the suburbs. And I know a lot of you live there and a lot of good people live in the suburbs. But my sense of the suburbs is that they were mostly built on people fleeing the city and its public education. White flight. They fleed, they fled, because they wanted better schools. That's why people go, right? Oh, no, I moved to Mount Lebanon's better school system. I moved to Upper St. Clair. I moved to the North Hills. Better school for my kid. And, you know, it's liberals, rich progressives that feed into a lot of this, guys. I've often wondered about all the so-called progressives who send their kids to private schools and decry the bad education that so many black students are receiving when they're part and parcel of what the problem is. Abandonment of the public schools for any reason hurts them. I had the money to send my child to private schools or to a religious school. And it never entered my head, even when I saw that the education he was getting was not probably as good as it would be if it, I know it wasn't as good as if he went to one of the fancy dancy private schools. So am I a bad mother? And I ask myself that question. Isn't your job as a parent to ensure that your kid gets the best of everything? And I thought, no, that's not the job of a good parent. <laughs> because if all parents thought that, it's just this ugly kind of like arms race, right? It's it's not thinking beyond your own interests. Children who go to lily white schools are not really getting educated about the reality of the country they live in. One of the wonders of public education is it pulled, used to, pulled all these disparate kids together. Rich ones, poor ones, white ones, black ones, Christians and Jews, they all had to learn together. And one of the greatest things of public education is that education that prepares a kid for the real world. And we've got this, you know, this gap now, this, this 
between the privileged and the unprivileged. And I don't know many white folks, no matter their politics, that don't contribute to the problem. As long as this country allows our public education system to be based on local financing, it is a certainty that kids from poor families will have poor schools and kids from rich families will have rich schools. And the poor kids who need the best schooling, who need the most, and the rich kids who are already far out ahead don't. But their parents are in a race with other rich parents. Bragging rights. What schools you go to. Trying to get a leg up. And you wonder how we end up with a caste system in this country? Because most Americans support it. They don't see their complicity in the result for the poor kids. What Nicholas Kristof said was, oh, wow, if there could only be a viral video like the murder of George Floyd that showed this. This that no one talks about, that showed these incredible inequities. The systemic racism and classism of this country. George Floyd video put our noses in it. But there's no way to put your nose in this. American public schools have become more and more racially segregated. And that's by our choices. Our choices. In 1973, there was a case that went to the Supreme Court. Rodriguez versus San Antonio School District. And Rodriguez was winning in all of the lower courts because that was a case about school funding and how the unequal school funding created unequal educational opportunity and thus violated the Constitution. And by a five to four vote, the Supreme Court of the United States said, nah, 
I don't see that. And as Nicholas Kristof says, this was Brown v. Board of Education that went the other way. If just one of those justices had switched, America today would be a fairer and more equitable nation. Maybe. And Kristoff says this, educated white Americans are now repulsed at the thought of systems of separate and unequal drinking fountains for blacks, but seem comfortable with a Jim Crow financing system resulting in unequal schools for black children, even though uh, schools are slightly more consequential than water fountains. So maybe that's the image you can keep in your head that's a little more viral. Think of your revulsion when you saw those pictures for the first time. Uh, this is where blacks drink, and this is where we drink. This is where blacks eat, this is where we... And yet we remain just willfully blind. and complicit. And here is, I'll, I'll just read Christoph because he is so dead on about this. White Americans, Democrats, liberals, Republicans, conservatives, white Americans have a stake in this unequal system. benefits us and our kids. And we accept that elite universities offer legacy preferences that amount to affirmative action for highly, already highly privileged children. Do you know some, some of the best universities have more students from the richest 1% than from the poorest 60% of this country. <laughs> they want their parents as donors. They want them as donors. We are the most corrupted, we have the most corrupted educational system you can think of. And wealthy white Americans benefit from single family zoning laws. You ever think of that? Because poor people often can't afford a house. They live in the apartment. And a lot of the biggest, richest bailiwicks create single-family zoning laws to keep their fine, rich, public schools for the rich. This kind of zoning is intended to freeze out low-income families and keep neighborhoods more segregated. There's the truth. I have a caller. Go ahead, please. 
Hello? Hi. Hi, Lynn. I'll make it quick. I, I, you just you hit the nail on the head. So many times in life I've heard this about people in school districts, and the first thing out of their mouth is too many blacks go to that school. And that's just yes. what it is, racism. And, I mean, I went to public school, and my kids did. It, I don't know. Not, you're going to get educated where you're getting educated. I mean, you want to learn, you're going to learn. But uh, that's what comes out of their mouth all the time. They don't want to go to school where the blacks are. I've heard that so no. much. It's so no, you know it's true. terrible. And it's people, it's the dirty little secret that even, like, you know, so-called yeah. progressive parents. It it's not, they want the right black students, right? It's classist at that point. It is, we want, oh, no, our black students come from you know, middle class and upper middle class families. Yep. It's about being around poor people, and especially poor people of color and their children. And this whole system perpetuates generation after generation. You want to know what white privilege is? You're living it, most of you. You're living it. Just, yeah. Hey, thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Appreciate it. Bye. We don't even recognize our white privilege. None of us do. My brother got stopped for speeding in Michigan uh, about five days ago. He had his dog in the car. He was going 95 miles an hour out in a 75 zone. Or 70 zone. I don't know what it was. And nothing happened to him. He charmed the, uh, yeah, he tells the guy, no, I drive too fast, you know, give me a ticket and this and that. He said, but, you know, I've had, I've had other speeding tickets, and if this goes on my record, I could lose my. And do you know that cop? let him pay cash on the spot and didn't, I don't know if it was, a, what you tell me what that was. Imagine you're a black man going 95 miles an hour and you get stopped. Hmm. Did my brother think of it as white privilege at the time? No. No, but I did. The whole system set up for the white folks. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but what, what, when we don't see how we, with our choices, perpetuate this disgusting, unbalanced culture and society. And I think far too many people just refuse to see. Refuse. Well, I'll tell you what, I got other stuff here, but 
I'm calling it a day. I know we started a little late, so I haven't quite filled the hour, but I'm done because everything else I have to talk about is equally depressing. And it's raining again. And so enough. Okay? Enough. Uh, We'll try to get ourselves on the air again tomorrow. No promises till we get our new equipment. And uh, I hope I'll see you then. Sort of. Bye-bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.